This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 11 of Equestrian Legends. Hello, I'm Chris Stafford, and my guest this week is American show jumper Harry Delia. Harry Delia was born on September 21, 1927, in St. Odenrode, Holland. The second of 12 children, he grew up on the family farm where his father was a prosperous brewer. Working horses were an integral part of the farm, so Harry soon learned to ride. In 1945, he rode in the St. Odenrode Parade to celebrate the Queen of Holland's return from exile. His dreams of becoming a professional rider were dashed when his village was occupied by the Nazis during World War II. Although only a teenager, Harry worked with the resistance, smuggling food through Nazi checkpoints in a horse-drawn cart. After the war, at the age of 22, Harry and his wife Johanna emigrated to the United States, where he promptly went to work as a tenant farmer. His gift for training horses soon emerged, and he was employed as a horsemaster for a series of positions, during which time he was raising a young family. His offer of an instructor's post at the Knox Girls' School coincided with producing the horse on which he was to become best known. Snowman, the former plough horse, served as a schoolmaster for the girls while making his way onto the U.S. team. With Snowman, Harry began a career as one of the most successful riders and trainers in America. He represented the United States in the World Cup Finals in 1982 and at the World Championships in Gothenburg, Sweden in 1983. In 2002, he was recognized by the United States Equestrian Federation with a Pegasus Medal of Honor for his lifetime contribution to the sport. Snowman twice won the American Horse Shows Association's Horse of the Year Award in 1958 and 59. Snowman was retired at the National Horse Show in Madison Square Garden and inducted into the Show Jumping Hall of Fame in 1992. He has also been made into a Briar model horse. Snowman has been the subject of two books, The Story of Snowman, The Cinderella Horse by Tony Palazzo and Elizabeth Lett's book entitled The $80 Champion, which is also a biography of Harry. Now known as the Galloping Grandfather, Harry is training future generations of show-jumping riders. Harry has eight children from his first marriage and 19 grandchildren, he lives in Stannardsville, Virginia, with his second wife, Joan, and has two stepchildren. Harry, your life has recently come into the limelight with the publication of that wonderful book, Snowman, The $80 Champion, which tells the story of Snowman, the horse that inspired a nation. Did you ever think that you would be remembered and your life would be in the limelight in the way it is now at this time of your life? No, I never would have thought about that. You have to realize I come through World War Two, and I started riding with the 4 eights, and I got an instructor's diploma for myself where I can give lessons to the 4 eights people. 
but I never thought I'm going to be that far. But as you come an immigrant to the United States, and you come off the boat like I did, in, and went to North Carolina and started on a tobacco farm, I never thought I'm going to be on the top with an $80 horse. But eight years later, I was champion at Madison Square Garden with an $80 horse. It is an extraordinary story, Harry, and I'm delighted that uh, you're going to share that with us here today because it does, as you say, go back to your beginnings in Holland. And obviously, that was a very, very tough period of your life. But if I may take you right back to your childhood and your parents, give us a sense, if you would, Harry, of the type of parents they were. What what were your memories of your mother and father? Oh, I can tell you, my father really was very interested in horses, but he inherited a brewery from his father and on the brewery there was always the pulp where they made the beer from and we fed that to the horses and to the cows and everything more. There was a little farm connected with it and I liked the farm better as the brewery. I never was a good brewery guy, I have to tell you. But I loved the horses and that's why I think I still with horses, and I'm going to be next year 85 years old, and I still go to horse shows, and I still school horses so much as I can every day and make everything happy for the horses and for ourselves, for myself. Well, being the oldest boy of... 12 siblings there. Were there any sort of first impressions of you and with you and your older sister? Did you have time to do anything else before horses crept into your life? Yeah, they want to have. I did something else, but I was more interested in the horses as anything else. And I liked the show and I liked the competition, but there was no junior divisions at that time. The junior have to ride against an adult person. And I learned to be riding, and I was more like a test pilot when I tried to get along with any horse. I didn't care of it. Got a good name, a bad name, anything as long as I got four legs, I would try them. And that's why I probably got this far. Now, as you mentioned, your father was into horses, but what about your mother? What were her interests? Well, she got 12 kids, and she only went to two shows in my lifetime. But my father would go every show where he could go to. He go with me to the shows. That's automatically he liked the horses, but my mother did have all the kids. And there was, she have to be, you got 12 kids in right behind you, so there was a year and a couple months in between all of us. And there, she got another one. She stayed more or less home 
with the younger kids. And I went to the whole shows on Sunday and practiced the ride and work on the, uh, there was the farm. And as we have to break a horse, we broke it to work and put it in harness. And then I broke it to ride and to jump. So was your father's generation then, was he the first in the Delaya family to be interested in horses or were your grandparents on either side involved? My grandfather, I have to be honest, he passed away already when I was just a baby. A year, maybe just not yet a year old. Because I don't remember my grandfather at all. On my father's side, on my mother's side, I remember uh, my grandfather on that side and the grandmother on that side. But I don't, on my father's side, there was not one of them living that I remember. Well, obviously, you were very preoccupied with horses at a very young age, Harry. But tell me about your schooling. What was school days like for you as a young boy in Holland? Well, I, I can tell you, uh, the boys were separated from the girls. There was nothing combined. And uh, I went to the local school. Then, so quick, I was a little bit older, and we could get on a bicycle. We went to school, oh, about seven miles away from us. And we traveled every morning on the bicycle to school. After that was finished, I went to a private school for boys, and my father was an alumni from that school, and uh, I was there till, oh, the middle of, there was 42 or 43, and then the Germans took the school over and made a concentration camp of it. What was the name of that school, Harry? The Ruhmerk in St. Nick. St. Nicholas Castle. There is just uh, oh about uh, seven, eight miles from Sertogenbos, where the big horse show is every uh, spring. And whilst you were at school, did you have any favourite subjects, or were you just that little boy who couldn't wait to get home and ride his horses? No, I. There were about 300 boys there, and there was not enough uh, to eat. Uh, they, the head of the school connected my father, and he was an, an alumni, and he went ask him where he, they can find some uh, grain to make bread for, for the boys and everything, and how they could get it to the school. They could put it, put it in their bakery and make bread and everything from it. The, that was my biggest deal. My father said, yeah, he would get it for the school boys and for the, the guys that were the teachers there. And, uh, but how are we going to get it there? They asked, my father said, you let my boy lose, and he will get it there. And what they did, they opened the, the beer barrels. They filled them with grain. 
and they put the grain in the beer barrels. Then they put it on, on the wagon for, that drove with two horses. And I drove that down to the school uh, once uh, or twice a month. And they right through the Germans and everything. Yes, they would have thought there was something on there and I was smuggling grain. Yeah, I would have gotten it probably from the Germans, but nobody did think about it. And then I went right down the line and drove to the school. They opened the barrels, got all the grain out, and the next day I drove back with the empty barrels. And there, that's how I kept, and luckily enough, uh, I learned a lot. And then they did not have any transportation during World War II. There's some of the teachers were very older and sick, and they needed transportation to go to the doctors, oh, about six, seven miles away. And my father got me a pony with a cart, and there I drove right with the, uh, the people that taught us down to the doctors, and there I did have my work to do. Yeah, I did not study that hard, but I was with the horses. What age would you have been then, Harry? Oh, I was to the war broker. I was, uh, yeah, it's easy to figure out. I was born in 27, and this was in 1941, 42. That's how old I was. Right. Third, 14. A teenager, yes. Yep. Well, Obviously, that was an enormous risk for you to smuggle the, those provisions um, under the guise of a horse-drawn cart taking grains. Yeah, I mean, and this, did did this you realize the risk, Harry? Yeah, I did. Really, you did not think about it. You know they have to be done and people have to live. And they give you a job to do. You would do it to the best you can do. And later on, as I look back, that's how I landed up in this country. And you're going to say, how? I will tell you now, to the parachute troop landed to the war in, it was oh, in 44 in September. The parachute troop landed in our town for America. And uh, one of the poor boys got killed. My sisters, uh, he got buried temporarily, not for his whole life, but temporarily he got buried right there. And the, my sister kept flowers on it. And then I tried to go after World War as an immigrant to Canada. And my sister wrote to the mother of that boy, Nikki, Nikki Schultz was his name, at Greensboro, North Carolina, that I maybe would come and visit as I ever be allowed to get from Canada to the United States. And the mother got a letter from my sister. She sent a telegram. He don't go to Canada. I will sponsor him to come to the United States. And she sponsored me to come to the United States. 
Just going back to that picture, Harry, of you driving as a teenage boy, that horse-drawn carriage with those provisions, it, it conjures up a scene maybe of, of some deprivation, obviously, amongst the population during the occupation. Did you know hunger? I mean, being of a large family, were there shortcomings? Did you experience maybe being hungry for meals? Be, be honest with you, no, not in our family, ourselves, but we did help people that lived in the city that did not have enough, like we could go to our own farm and got our own uh, potatoes and everything more, but then the, the people were allowed to come from the city and to pick the potatoes up, and we were happy that the people that did not have to eat could come and get potatoes and uh, we see as they need anything. And yes, we did uh, got some pigs that we raised ourselves for the family and my father, and we did have like a bakery ourselves in the ovens. You could make bread, and, I, and my father would wonder a while, slip a pie in there for us, for the boys and the, and the girls. And uh, we ourselves did have enough food to eat, and that we did have the farm, and we did, uh, did have the animals that you could eat from. And we got chickens and eggs and everything. And we got cows where we made butter from ourselves. There was enough to eat, yes. Well, I can just imagine you've painted the scene there for me, Harry, of that family farm that you grew up with being self-sufficient with cattle, with chickens and mm-hmm. and grain and enough to be self-sufficient in, in farming, which, of course, stood you in good stead when you immigrated to the states but i'm i'm just wondering how many how many horses did you have on that family farm that were work horses well let, let let's go farther like that we did have so many horses that you have to represent to the germans and they would take the best horses out and then they give you a permit that you could buy young horses and you could work them in again and go with that. But we saved uh, about four or five horses that we hided that the Germans never saw. And we, after World War, I started off to the first international show was in Sertogenbos. I met Colonel Russell, the guy that is in uh, Texas now. And he is the, he wrote himself on the team and everything. And uh, I was just probably 18 years old, yes, 17, 18 years old. Yeah, I just got 18. And uh, I did not know anything about the international rules and regulations. And I was competing against the international people already. Then, tonight, I was just a youngster. And he helped me. He said, Harry, can I tell you some things? And I did not understand very good language. 
the, uh, the, the English, the American language, uh, but my sister could, and uh, he explained to, to me, don't step off your horse in the ring, but ride out the ring, then step off. I said, why not? I said, you be through the finish line. He said, yeah, but the FBI rule is you cannot step off in the ring. I said, okay, I did not know that. And he was one of the ones that helped me, and I learned from him. But still now, he still is in Texas, and he helped my grandkids and my gra- and my son, John. Well, I'm just, before we leave that period of your life, Harry, curious as to the enduring memories you have of working with the resistance. As a young boy, you must have seen devastation all around you and knowing the implications of war. What are your strongest memories from that period? Oh, my strongest was uh, really to World War II start coming to an end to the parachute troopers landed in our town and there was through uh, the in the Dutch uh, farm and uh, stables their roofs were made of straw and the the bullets went in there and there the fire started but it was at the hospital where the old people retired really and could go down to the uh, farm in the back of the hospital and they belonged to the hospital and the fire broke out and the old people could not go to do it out and my father was a volunteer chief of the fire department but nobody, the, the war was going on and the shooting. And who going to go and uh, going to play fire department? That was me. I crawled down on my knees and they shot at me, the Germans. But I got a hose in the back of, and there I went down through the, through the back of the hospital. And I stayed all night and was a fire department. I got a report from the mayor of the town and from the head of the hospital that I was a hero. I was not a hero. I was just a regular type of person that wanted to help. But I got my first day evening, two of the soldiers that got hurt come into the hospital that wanted to see me the next morning. And they gave me, uh, we didn't know what chocolate was, and I'm not crazy about chocolate, but they gave me two bars of chocolate and to not visit them. And that was one of the greatest things that I learned at that point from the American boys. And then I went on and... I decided I'd like to come to America, but there was no way I could come to America. I was the oldest boy, and the farm was a little too small for the whole family boys. And I got one brother that got really hurt with an 
accident, one of the wires come down, and he going to hook up the machine uh, to help me with the horses to cultivate it, and he got the cultivator, and uh, he got in a, in a coma from the electricity. But he come out of it, and he's all right. But that's what it was. That was part, the toughest time for us to save all the good horses and then still do your job, what you're supposed to be to do, but you don't think about it. You, you have to step in and do it. That's all. You know, so quickly start thinking about it. It couldn't have, you would have been sweating about it and everything more. You just want to get that done. And that's what it was. Were you ever afraid? Yeah, uh, I got afraid. Yeah, a couple times I have to dive down in the ditch. When the, sh- the shell, uh, uh, the bombs exploded next to me, and you dove in the ditch. You know what I mean? That you hear the zzz going all at once, then you dove in. And during the war, the Germans got them fighters where they, as they saw something, they shot at houses and everything. Yeah, the bullets fly, and still now at the old house, as you look to the room where I slept, right next to it, you still can see the holes where the bullets went in. You know what I mean? But uh, they, they patched it up, and it is all right, you know. Yeah, it stayed with you your whole life. I'm pretty sure more. There is nothing that can change, but I, the lucky person that grew up with horses as a little kid, and they rode first a pony. First, my father got a goat. Then he got a donkey. Then we got a pony. And that's the way I learned to ride. You know what I mean? Well, obviously horses were your salvation at that time, but you must have come away with lots of impressions from being in war-torn Europe. And your parents would have had challenges too, obviously, raising a large family. What were the values that they bestowed upon you that stood you in good stead for life as a young man? Well, I got a big responsibility. Why? Uh, the Germans, my father was involved. He dealt with the farmers. He was uh, with the 4 age boys. He knew all of them. And they want to get him that they cannot hold in, uh, oh, a meeting between the farm boys and everything, the underground people. And they were looking for my father. But in the meantime, everything was shoved to my shoulders. And I was like the head of the family that everybody got to eat and everybody was safe. All my brothers and sisters and my mother did have a tough time. But, uh, yeah, I went to the war. I never will forget the war. But uh, it I learned a lot from it to grow up and what to do and get respect for everyone. Well, being the oldest boy in the family, Harry, there I'm sure were expectations from your father to continue with the family farm and business. 
was it a surprise that you wanted to leave the country and make your way in the new world? Uh, it was a surprise to him that I don't want to be a brewery guy. That was when my third, my third brother, he took over the business and he he did a good job of it. Don't don't misunderstand me, but I was not interested to go to the cafe or the little restaurant and sell uh, a barrel of beer or a, a couple of cases of beer. I cannot do that. I was not interested in the beer. I was more interested just to be on the farm and be with the horses. And that was my luck, really. And then I come to this country and got on the tobacco farm. They did have the three horses there. Yeah, I work with the horses, but I convert them in to make jumpers out of them. And that's how I got a business in this country. Absolutely. Well, we'll talk more about that in just a moment, but I just want to take us from Holland uh, when you were a young husband there at 22 years of age. Uh, tell us about how you met your first wife, Johanna, and, of course, persuading her that you wanted to move to America. In a way, I can. Her brothers were four-age boys, and they rode with me, and then as we she come to the shows after the war, and that's how I met her. And then finally, I was not interested in any of my sister's friends, but they were more interested in going to oh, play the, the music when they go to the movie or something like that. But I was not interested in that. But uh, I got interested in it. She and I, and then I got her to ride. She started riding horses, and that's how she really got interested in to me. So was she easily persuaded then that she would uh, go with her new husband over to America and start a new life? In a way, she was, but then I think she got a little bit, a little bit. To start off, with, we did not know the language good enough. <laughs> You understand? And, and then we landed in Hoboken, and, then, and we, we took English lessons together, but they talked different as we were taught to. And then we went from Hoboken, come off the boat, and went on the train, and went to Greensboro, North Carolina, and the language was completely different. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the biggest problem. Really, but I got used to it, and I've got friends all over the country, you know. Well, that, of course, was August 1950, when you boarded yeah. that ship. Yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, Voldenham and, and Paul The Voldenham, yeah. Yes. What do you remember of that journey itself? Because that must have been quite exciting. How long did it take, even, Harry? It's uh, uh, seven days, but I will tell you, I was sick five days from it. Oh, dear. On the boat, but I was not used to rock that boat up and down. You know what I mean? I, I was riding yet to post and to jump horses, but not to sit on the boat and swallow the salt water and everything. No. 
Well, that was a tough journey for you. And, of course, you were one of, I think it was something like 2 million immigrants that were coming from Europe uh, yep. in yep. that period between 1950 and 1960, a lot of them from, from Holland, I think something like yep. 50,000 from Holland. But arriving in the U.S. at that time with farming and horses as your tools in life, if you will, to make a new living, it came at a difficult time, didn't it? Because post-war farming in, in the U.S., was going through a tough time, wasn't it? Yes, it was. But you have to realize this. I was put on a tobacco farm. And, yeah, the horses work on the tobacco farm. That did help me. There was no problem. But the notion is I don't smoke. And I did not know what tobacco really was and how to grow it. I all have to learn that, too, you know. And that was a big thing, but tonight was about a year, not quite a year, less than a year. I got them horses jumping a little bit. And then Mickey Walls, the guy he wrote in Madison Square Garden himself, his daughter, Joni Walls and Kathleen, they wrote in the horse shows. And they saw me ride, and he said, Harry, what you do now? I said, I work on a tobacco farm. He said, you want a job with horses? I said, yeah, I'd like to have a job, job with horses, but I don't know if I'm a good enough rider. And Mickey said, Harry, you want to win, and you're good enough rider. You get along with every horse. And there... He saw, uh, he put, got me my first job to ride at Bill Sterling, uh, Strup Hill Farm in Bakerstown, uh, Pennsylvania. So there you took up a new job as, as a groom, as a stable boy. Yes, stable doing... boy, yeah. and ride the young horses and get them ready to go. But I took one horse with me, that was my own horse, and that was my jumper. Uh, I, I, do I work on the other tobacco farm at night? My friend needs somebody to help him milk the cows, and I went in the evenings to help him out to milk the cows and everything more. And he, he wanted to pay me for it. I said no. He said, "What you like to have?" I said, "You got a young horse in the field there. I take that." He said, "You can have that," and that's the way I got it. Well, it was also a time when you were starting a young family too, and but yeah. but but your earnings were meagre to say the least. Did you? There was almost nothing. <laughs> no, almost like nothing. But I worked my first job to work for for this uh, Bill Sterling who was a home at fifty dollars a month. How did you manage with a young family? Well, we saved all the pennies we could and made everything ourselves, you know what I mean? And uh, I worked harder and I did anybody need a whole school or anybody need help. I was standing there and I said I would help them. And that's why I got so far. And then I got the big job with Knox School, KNOX. I signed one contract with them. No, I went after uh, Bill Sterling. I asked for a $10 raise 
after I was a year there, he wouldn't have given me ten dollar raise. I said, as I not worth more as this money, I said I'm gonna find. I worked for David Hudelot, the he owned the paper box company in Lindsburg, Virginia. Right. So you moved from Pennsylvania to and Virginia, to Lind- all wonderful yeah. horse country. Yeah, right there, and then. Uh, that was right behind Sweetbrother College. And Captain Litauer come all the time uh, to Sweetbrother College, and he saw me ride and everything more, and he said what I was doing. He said, you deserve another job. I said, well, I got my own private stable already. I was, I was teaching the kids from uh, E.C. Glass High School, and uh, some are still my friends now. They just wonder why call me and talk to me. I did that then. I did it for two years. Then Captain Litauer said to me, Harry, what about riding for Eleanor Sears? She's a robot. I said, yeah, but I said, let me call Mickey Walls up. He said, why do you want to talk to Mickey? I said, Mickey wrote for her when he was young. I said, okay. And I took call Mickey up. And Mickey said, yeah, Harry, if you can get the horses done here, you're fine. Don't go down to Massachusetts and ride the horses. But she's going to stay there. And you got the chaperone all the time above you. I said, and that's wonderful. But it is not as you want to work hard and you want to do things. And some of the horses, he said, she got you can, they don't want to behave, and you, but you, they're going to step all over you. I said, okay. Then I told Captain Litauer, I said, no, I cannot do this. I said, I, today I was finished talking with Maggie, and he said, Harry, what about a private school? I said, as I can bring my own horses, my own tack, and my own groom, I got an independent contract, I will do it. And I signed an independent contract for one year. And I stayed 22 years with Knox School. So much happened during that time. Oh, it's the horse I loaned to George Morris. And, and he won uh, in the Rome Olympic. He was fourth with. I showed him in Madison Square Garden. The horse was a hunter. And I showed him in the jumpers. It didn't bother me at all. And... Uh, but yeah, did help George when George didn't have a horse, and there he went on and stayed on the team. Now he's the coach of the team, till at least this year. And then I don't know what I hear. Next year he's gonna resign, and somebody else gonna be the coach. But that was a big deal. And then I got snowmen for the girls at Oak School. And that's why I was looking for horses. And then snowman come along. Season is gone. But snowman come back up, and he win everything for me. That's how the he was lucky. Well, during that time, those early days at Knox School, Harry, when you obviously you had a job there to teach and you were, had your own horses, were you ambitious to be a trainer at that time or to be a successful competition rider or a producer of good jumping horses? What, what were your real ambitions right at that time? 
all my ambition was to be a rider, but I didn't never know if I would be good enough, you know, to go to Madison Square Garden and win. Yeah, uh, things did it, but Snowman really made me famous, you know, and uh, he won classes, and then I come after, he did it for five years, and then I retired, and then we give him an exhibition jumping over another horse. Whoever did that, nobody, but I did. <laughs> Whose idea was that, Harry? Was that yours? Really, it started up. It it was really silly. What what you're gonna do with a horse? As I rode in the ring, all the little kids would take snowman's tail and pull a couple of hair out, put it in their pocket. That was their souvenir, and I felt bad about it. And then as you. To me, was go over five years. You cannot win every class, and all them little kids standing on the side of the of the jumping ring, and little tears come out of their eyes, and they start crying to me. I said, "Well, what I can do with no man now after five years?" I said, "Let me retire, and we give an exhibition." This is the first couple times we after. We retired him. I went to the show and I jumped a course. But I said, there's not anything for the little kids to see. We have to find something to do that is spectacular. And he was a spectacular horse. That's how you did. Yeah, let's do it. And there we start playing around. And we got the, it's a, a pony. We jump over the pony. Uh, I said, oh, get a bigger horse. That's like nothing. Then we got a bigger. Uh, that was about 15, one or something like it. Jump over there. Ah, no. Then finally we got a 16, one to a bread mare. And that mare won the undersaddle in the junior division in Madison Square Garden. And we made it. <laughs> she was. Uh, that's uh, that, uh, Lady Grey, we call her. And uh, we jumped over the top of her, and she was very good mare. And she a fox hunted, and she showed as a hunter and everything more. Well, this story would not be complete without telling the beginnings of your story with Snowman, finding him and rescuing him from the killer wagon there. Tell us the, that story from the start. To teach the knock school girls, some of them are very brave girls and some are very good riders, but then you got a whole bunch that are not so good riders. And I always got turbred horses. I needed some quiet horse to find, and I was looking for a quiet turbred horse that could go in there and help me for beginner horses. And I'd look over there and look over there. I cannot find any. Let's, let's go to New Holland. We went to New Holland. And I come too late. Uh, I got a flat tire or something like that. I, it's so many years ago, but there's some like that it was. And I come too late on and all the horses got sold. And uh, I did not know the country good enough. But, you know, there's quite a few hours away from Long Island, and 
I come there in the Varshas. They were loading up the horses that go to the slaughterhouse. And I saw some white horse standing there with his eyes half closed. And I walked to him. He, op- <coughs> he opened his eyes to me. And uh, I asked the guy, what is that horse? Oh, you don't want him. He got only one shoe on, and he's uh, sore. I said, well, can I see him after thing? He said, he said, but there's extra work for us. I said, well, I, if you got a flat tire, I would help you too. And no, he said, you can see him. And I he took him out and there us home. And then <coughs> I asked uh, how much money he wanted. He said, $80. I said, okay, I'll take him. It's all done. He said, but one thing you do, you drop him off on Long Island. He said, I have to go to Long Island anyway. There's, he dropped him off right at at the... Uh, uh, right in the front of the gate of my uh, farm, there he come out, all dirty, filthy, manure stains all over him. And finally, my kids help him. We start scrubbing away. We got hot water and some soap, and there we scrubbed away, and he went on. And then the kids called him Snowman, right there. Well, that was a few flurries come out. And that would be his name. And that's why he got the name, Snowman. And you said he had sores on him too, but was because on the he shoulder, had been in a harness. On, yeah, on the harness. It was from pulling the wagon or uh, pulling the plow or something like that. And how, how old did you guess he was at that time, Harry? Uh, at that time, he was probably seven. He was not that old a horse yet. And how tall was he? He was uh, just 16, 16 hands, and not he, bigger. From the impressions I get from the book, he was quite a, a quiet horse too because he soon Real adapted quiet. to your children. You could put uh, put five, six kids on him and he just stood there and eat grass or he walk around with them. And they, finally on the end, they took him to the sand and they use him, they, he put him in the water and they use him as a diving board. They jump off them, <laughs> they the dove off them, you know. But you clearly developed a wonderful relationship with him right from the start. He probably recognised that you saved his life as he was heading on his final journey before you took him off that truck. Yeah, I probably did, but he saved my life too. He put me on the top of the world. You have to realise that too. He certainly made a star of you in the show-jumping arena, and, of course, uh, both he and St. John have been inducted into the Hall of Fame. But yeah. at, at that time, Harry, when you, you were an ambitious young man, you wanted to be a show-jumper. Who were your influences, apart from your contemporaries? Who were the show-jumpers of that period that you admired and, and wanted to emulate? Oh, there was no doubt about it. It was uh, Mickey Waltz was all right. And but I see Billy Sankross ride, and uh, I saw uh, really the Germans come 
after the war come very strongly back and try to jump all over us yeah, after World War Two, it uh, was uh, Winkelmann, Hans Winkelmann, uh, Franz Tillemann, the one that was a uh, sole demand uh, uh, to Mrs. Sears. Oh, Frankie Poe wrote him. Uh, Frankie Poe was a good writer. Dave Kelly really told me, Harry, I want to have you come to the show with Snowman. He saw a snowman in Science Pond, but then I could not go every time to the horseshoe. Why? I was teaching Knox School still. Knox School did not get out till May. Then all at once, he said, Harry, I wonder if you come to Fairfield, Connecticut. I said, okay, I'll be there, Dave. And Dave said, uh, Harry, Adolf McGover made a bet with me. A hundred to one. He gonna be champion PHA, and I see your horse jump, and I guarantee you, you can beat him. I said, Dave, I have to go to every horseshoe in this country. I cannot do that. I just work for Knox School, and I got a family. I have to. He said, Don't worry, you, your horse is so great. I saw him. I said, I guarantee you, you can do it. And sure enough. I tried it, and there he was champion. In 58, he was PHA champion, Madison Square Garden champion, and champion of the United States, the PHA, uh, no, American Horseshoe Association on the point system. And you can do that with an $80 horse, make you feel really good. <laughs> certainly did yeah. well obviously your record with him stands for itself but it wasn't always easy was it because there were hard times raising a family maintaining a living and you had to sell him at one point didn't you Ed? yes I did sell him I forgot to tell you about yeah I sold him when he was in the beginning I didn't know how, how good he could jump but he was quiet enough and a chiropractor doctor saw him, and he wanted him for his family, and then he could ride him just on uh, the trails. And I said, yeah, you can buy him. And he bought him for $160. That's about double the money. I thought that was very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, we all have to laugh about it. But then, you know, the horse, oh, about... About four, no, eight, eight weeks, two months, yeah. That's what it was. All the ones I hear, click, click, down in the night. I said, there's a horse loose on the road. I said, it cannot be one of ours. And I'm looking, who's there? Snowman. He come back, and I put him in the stall, and I fed him, and he was fine. He was very happy. And I called the doctor up and said, you know, your horse is over here. He said, yeah, but I got trouble. He's jumping out all the time. I said, well, make the fence higher. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, I made it higher at one point and he still jumped out. I said, okay, put put the thing on, put the uh, rubber tire, put a long lunch line on it, and put the rubber tire uh, on his halter, and I said he can drag the tire, but then he cannot get away. 
Okay. He did that. About four or five days, there he's standing in again at our ball with the tie of dragging right <laughs> through the fields. And, and he said, he did it three or four times. And then the doctor said, can I keep him board with you? I said, yeah, you can board him with me. There's the horses with me for, oh, I think uh, eight weeks. And he never brought any money or anything to me for the board. And then I said, I called him up and said, hey, what about us feeding the horse and taking care of him? And he said, no, I don't want him anymore. I won't let you buy him back. I said, now, wait a minute. You earn me money. How come I, I had to buy? He said, I said, uh, how much is your board? I said, that's $100 a month. He said, that's about $3 a day. I said, yeah, a little bit more, maybe 50 25 cents more. Oh, okay, he said. He never come and pick the horse. He left the horse with me. Then he sent me a letter. He said, you own the horse. Forget about it. I said, fine, thank you. I kept him and he never... Uh, yeah, I got offers from from Bert Firestone, uh, Eleanor Sears tried to buy him, but I never sold him anymore. Well, he, he clearly had more ambitions than to be just a hack. But put that in perspective, Harry, how far away did the doctor live from you? Oh, about uh, 10 miles. So finally he decided that his life was with you to, to be the show yep. jumper that he knew he could be, and he persuaded you that he could yep. be. And it was just a successful journey from, from there on. When you look at... Uh, your partnership with him, what were the most memorable rounds that you had? Because Also, I want to talk about your distinctive style with him, how you used to drop the reins as well. I think a lot of modern-day riders would wonder how you pulled that off. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, what happened. I know he liked a loose rein, and he foxed it on a loose rein. That's why I want to hang on his mouth. He... I still got his bridle where he was, that he always used for five years, and he won the first year at Madison Square Garden. He won in a round bridle, and we, we, I got a rubber D-bit in it. It is hanging next to his cooler in my uh, dining room. And he was one of the greatest horses anybody could dream about. Yeah, I... You're going to ask me another question, and I'll let her answer you. What is the fa- your favorite horse? I said, Snowman automatically is, but there is one that did the same thing as Snowman did, but I did have his mother, his father, and I raised him, and his name was Dutch Crown. And you see, he was champion in Madison Square Garden. He did everything, and I showed him in Gutenberg, Sweden. At that time, he won the class that played the national anthem. It was the greatest thing I ever hear in my life. Well, you did have some wonderful moments there um, in your career, but not least of all at Madison Square Garden, where you ultimately retired, Snowman. That must have been a very emotional time for you. Well, to be retired, there was not 
why I know we're going to go to the horse show. And the kids like them. And he, he, we give an exhibition about every horse show jumping over the other horse. Yeah, he was, that was the greatest thing I could do for him. And he lived with me till he was 29 years old. And uh, he never was lame. He never was sick. But all at once his legs blow up. And I thought, figured out what it was. And I called the vet. And the vet come. He said, it's kidneys. And they give him medicine for the kidneys. And they not work anymore. But that happened. Well, that was the very end, of course, but he became such a celebrity, didn't he? And oh, attending yeah. book signings and had fan yeah. mail and I believe he autographed his hoof prints and the children were quite entrepreneurial in selling yeah. those too. Uh, it really was a celebrity status that he enjoyed with you, Harry, and you'll always have those marvellous memories. And now, of course, the book, The $80 Champion, when you look back at what you did with him in his career, do you think that that he was the that one horse in a million? Um, but I, you mentioned other horses that you'd done very well with, of course. He wasn't the only horse. Put him in perspective of your whole career. Oh, he, no doubt about it. He's on the, one of the, my top horses, but he put me on the top in this country and I go to this country I got a hundred and seventy five dollars in my pocket that I got off the boat I couldn't buy anything but he put me there and he made my name famous and everything and uh, he went on and then I won the master cup in you know where all the profe- all the uh, Team people come from every country, three or four riders come. And uh, I was champion in Canada and won the Masters Cup. Not with snowmen, but you can ride your, your own horse. But uh, you take a head and take a number out, and that's the horse you got. I was a horse I did done no good enough and was stopping for everybody. But I rode it and was Master Champion, Miss. Of the world. You did have your fair share of injuries, and it wasn't always on the back of a horse, was it? You actually fell and broke your back quite badly, didn't you, while you were stacking bales? Uh, yeah. <coughs> that was not, not got nothing to do with the horses. I was on load of hay, and we got, I unloaded already two wagons, and the third wagon was standing on the thing, and it was a brand new wagon, and the wheels were uh, a little higher. We got an elevator that go up, and the guy said, well, this don't going to work. I said, yeah, it's going to work. I said, uh, we make a hole and put the elevator right in the hole. I said, okay, I say, uh, I said, I climb up there and go on the top of the wagon, and I moved already three bills hey. I take the four bill and the twine snapped and I fly backwards off. And there is where I broke my back in three places. But I still alright. I got four bars in me. It don't bother me. I still do the same work. Amazing. How many other bones have you broken along the way, Harry? Oh, I broke a finger here. I broke... Uh, a toe there, a horse step on it, 
but I never complained about it. That was just they go with the with the thing. You know what I mean? Uh, as you be in that kind of game, it can happen any place. You know what I mean? And uh, as you start uh, stuttering over little things like that, forget about. It. But tonight was for two months in the hospital for my back. That knocked me a little bit downhill. But I come back, and I win the class with the young star, and I got Dutch Lane younger, and he was great for me. Well, you clearly have learnt to overcome adversity both in life and in the sport. Was there anything that intimidated you in, in life or as a rider? No, not really. Anybody that wants to work and like a horse and want to understand a horse can make a happy understanding between a rider and a horse. And that's the whole key. Uh, yeah, we can get mean and try to say, yeah, break this one and break that one. But many times that don't work. But I got people, uh, I got horses that stayed with me like snowmen that long. Uh, I got people that work for me. They were with me for 22 years or longer. That's right there. It's how you treat people. That's how, how you treat horses. They treat you the same way, the good horses. As we mentioned, you were married to Johanna for a number of years and then remarried in 1982 to Joan. And altogether, you have, what, eight of your children, two of hers, and a total of 19 grandchildren. And many of them, of course, are very used to sitting on a horse and and accomplished horsemen and women themselves. And tell us what a typical day is for you now, Harry, as you are in your mid-80s. As you you said earlier, you are still very active with horses. Oh, yeah, we go to, I was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, horse show. I was in Washington, D.C., horse show, and I was signing books all over the place. In uh, Southampton, in Britsha, in uh, East Hampton, I, uh, Grosay, Virginia, I, I sell books all sign them all over the, over the world. And now I have to go back maybe to Holland, but the book, the new book, they're going to print, print it in the Dutch language. And it's going to come out in Holland, and they made already arrangements for me to fly to Holland in June. So a busy year ahead. As you mentioned, you're going round the big international shows still. You were presenting the President's Cup at this year's Washington International Horse Show, I believe. Yes, I did. That was a big honor, but I'm not a president. I I ride the horses, but they picked me out to present that trophy, and that was one of the greatest things in my life. Wonderful memories to have and, of course, to share with your family. You're often referred to now as the galloping grandfather, Harry, teaching these new generations of riders. What's your biggest message to these young riders today and anyone who aspires to make a career with show jumpers? Please keep trying and believe in your horse and it will come. And you're, you're a little shorter or a little bit longer or anything you build. You give the horse a chance and you give yourself a chance 
you will make it. And finally, Harry, at the end of the day, when you close your door, what has meant the most to you in your career and, and how would you like to be remembered as a horseman? Well, we all can buy horses. We all can do, but to make them yourself and go on and be winners, that's the biggest honor anybody can receive. And that was the greatest thing for me. Yeah, get get a boy that come with a hundred and so many dollars off the boat in 1950 and win the Master Cup in Canada. That was a great deal. And they played the national anthem yeah, for me in Gutenberg, Sweden. Yeah, that was a great thing. And yeah, I there's no man was champion of the United States for five years. He was on the top. I cannot ask for any more. Uh, I never would have dreamed about that, but it's happened. And I have the, who I have to think. The first people I have to think is the United States people. The only one I have to think the good Lord to help me. They give me that kind of horse and be on the top. Uh, then that I can do it so long. Most people my age, they're to can barely get around. No, I get to get around. I set a jump hook or look to horse or see if I can clip them or see if I can help them with anything. I still will try the whole life. Well, Harry, it's been a marvellous career and a life dedicated to horses, and I want to thank you so much for sharing those memories with us and wish you well in your future years, always with horses. Well, I thank the good Lord that you called me. We can talk about this, and I never will regret it. My whole life, I started with horses. Thank you. Please join me next time when we celebrate the life of another equestrian legend. (laughs) 